G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Only the blood of Jesus Christ can purify heart and mind. Only the blood of Jesus Christ can transform lives. And that is why the disciple of Jesus needs to learn to live like Jesus. Just in case you think I made it, no, I'm learning every day. I'm failing many times, but that does not stop me from learning to live like Jesus. Thanks for taking time out of your busy day to listen to Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef, author of more than 50 books, including his latest, How to Read the Bible. And as Dr. Michael Youssef opens the pages of God's Word, He will offer you practical words of truth to help you learn to live like Jesus. In this episode, look a little closer at the story Jesus told that we often call the Good Samaritan. It offers examples, both good and bad, about reaching out to those who are lost in our world. Now though, join me in listening to a life-changing message from Dr. Yusuf series, Who's Disciple? This story that Jesus tells is a summary of his own life and mission. This is Jesus' story. And let me put it in context, okay? The discussion was and began by a lawyer was trying to quiz Jesus. This lawyer wanted to know what kind of life could he live in order that he may earn eternal life. You see, always thinking of earning eternal life. First, Jesus quoted the Scriptures. We saw that in the last message, loving like Jesus, and why it was a new command that Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. But Jesus quoted the Old Testament, and he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, etc., and then love your neighbor as yourself. But lawyers, you have to understand, they're very practical people. They're very practical. They're down to earth. This lawyer wanted to know, how this loving God and your neighbors actually work in day-to-day life. How are you going to live it? It's one thing to recite it, and it's called the Shama in the Hebrew language, and, and they will say, oh, hero Israel, the Lord your God is one God, and the Lord your God, and they will just rattle it every day, literally. But this man really wants to know, how does this work in my daily life? How does it work in my daily living? If I am to love my neighbor, first of all, define who is my neighbor. Well, let me give you first a Yusuf translation, actually a Yusuf interpretation, okay? You're not going to find it this way in the Bible. As if Jesus saying to this man, let me bring the cookie jar all the way to the bottom shelf so that even a child can reach it. And he tells him a story that illustrates Jesus' own life. And by implication, it's a model for any disciple or would-be disciple of Jesus. This is a picture of someone who is in desperate need. I mean, this man is in desperation. It's between life and death. Can't get more desperate than that. And uh, he gets bypassed by the very people 
the very people who are supposed to meet needs. This desperate man gets bypassed by the very people who were commanded by God to exercise mercy. He gets bypassed by the very people who could have met his need, but their lives being spinning like a top around itself, they ignored him. He gets bypassed by the very people who are supposed to help him. The first was a priest. The priest bypassed him, and the priests in the Old Testament were actually commissioned by God to minister to hurting people. Remember, every time Jesus healed the leper, he said, go to the priest, because that's part of the priesthood in the Old Testament. They're partly medical, partly help, partly meeting of that need. He saw the bleeding man, and he looked the other way, and he just kept walking. Didn't see anything. And then he followed by a Levite. Now, the Levites were consumed by religious rituals, and all day long, religious rituals, religious rituals, they were spinning around religious rituals. And so he too pretended he didn't see anything and just kept walking and looking the other way. Now, beloved, please listen to me. This is a picture also of ineffectiveness, the ineffectiveness of religious rituals. In fact, dead rituals freezes the hearts Dead rituals cannot save souls. Dead rituals cannot meet real needs. Well, then a Samaritan was passing by. Samaritan, helping a Jew, is absolutely incongruent in that time. Because historically, the Samaritans hated the Jews, and the Jews returned the favor. But they really were related to each other. They were relatives, because the Samaritans were part Jews and part Gentiles. And the truth is, due to no fault of their own, the Samaritans ended up in no man's land. They were hated by the Jews, they were hated by the Gentiles. They were kind of in a precarious situation. They couldn't fit with the Jews, they couldn't fit with the Gentiles. They were really a desperate people, if you think about it this way. And I want you to think about this long and hard. And yet, even though the Samaritan is alienated, even they're rejected, even they're despised. He does four important things. He does four important things that actually illustrate what our rejected, despised, maligned Lord Jesus did for us on the cross of Calvary. Here are the four things. And I have them all start with the same letter, so I pray to God you don't forget them for a long time or ever. The first thing he did, he stopped. Secondly, he stooped. Thirdly, he served. And finally, he saved. First of all, he stopped. Now, we know virtually nothing about the Samaritan man. And yet, when you think about it, he has inspired countless of people, countless of people for 2,000 years. Think of how many ministries and how many churches and how many hospitals are called the Good Samaritan. (laughs) Remember this. This Samaritan was not on a holiday because I tell you, nobody take that road that was absolutely filled with robbers, filled with danger, 
unless you have a very serious business to attend to. You don't go there if you want to go for a walk in the park. <laughs> That's not a place you go to. So he was not on holiday, got plenty of time, or this Samaritan was not sort of sitting idly by looking for something to do. This Samaritan did not even <laughs> have few hours to kill. No. Jesus said something absolutely shakes me to the core in John chapter 10. He said, I have authority. I had authority to lay it down, talking about his life, and I have authority not to do it. But I chose to lay it down and take it back up again. He said, that is why my Father loves me. That's why my Father loves me. Jesus could have chosen to stay in heaven or leave the splendor of heaven to come to desperate people. Jesus could have said, I have a universe to run. I have a world to take care of. Why should I go down to this miserable, sin-filled earth? But I'm absolutely grateful to the Lord, and I will be until I see Him face to face that He did come to redeem us and redeem every repentant sinner. Can I get an amen? amen? Had He not stopped to experience firsthand our miserable condition, our sinful world, our guilt-stricken lives, and our hell-bound eternity, you and I would not be eternally saved. And we wouldn't be here today. Oh, that is why every true disciple of Jesus, every true disciple of Jesus must live in total gratitude to Jesus for stopping. Please listen to me. To all of Jesus' disciples and would-be disciples, how many people around you that are desperate for salvation? Have you stopped? Have you stopped to ponder the desperate condition? Whose disciples? Jesus. But secondly, he did not only stop, he stooped. He stooped. It's one thing to stop and maybe look at the person or just say a comforting word and move on. But it's a whole different ball game to stoop. Why? Because stooping can be hazardous for your health. Actually, it's not. It's good exercise. Try it. But for this Samaritan to stoop is, was very hazardous for him. It's a very dangerous road. It was filled with robbers. People never traveled on that road at night. Not only that, but he risked his own reputation. The reputation, the risk for that reputation with his fellow Samaritan was huge. Listen to me. He did not only stop and stoop to help a fellow Samaritan or a relative or somebody he recognized. No, no, no. He was helping a dying enemy. He humiliated himself. He risked the scorn and the mocking of his fellow Samaritans. Why didn't he just pass on the other side? Why didn't he just look the other way? Why didn't he just shut his eyes and pretend he didn't see just like the priest and the Levite? Why didn't he just pretend that everything is fine? Somebody else is going to take care of it. Why did he not just close his ears 
to the cry of this desperate man. And Jesus is saying, this man did what I, Jesus, did. This man modeled Jesus. This man was Jesus' true disciple. And he did not only stop, but he stooped. William Carey, the founder of the mission movement over 200 years ago, was a simple man. He was a cobbler. But he went to Bible college at night, and he, and he had the passion and the burning desire to go to India. And then he appeared before a council of bishops, before he would give him permission to go to be a missionary in India and open up the whole mission field, modern mission movement in the West. One of the bishops said to him, he said, Young man, if God wants to save the heathens, he will save them without your help. Sit down. I'm glad he didn't. He went on, impacted the nation of India. God, in his sovereign will, chose to reach others through his disciples. God, in his divine wisdom, chose to save others through his disciples. Jesus did not only stop, he stooped. He laid aside his royal diadem. He laid aside the praises of the angels. He laid aside the majesty of his office. He laid aside his limitless sovereign power. And he stopped. And he stooped into our world. Why? So that he may experience what we experience. So that he may feel what we feel. So that he may become one of us. And more than anything else, more than anything else, he stooped so that he may pay for the penalty of your sin and my sin. He stooped to take upon himself your judgment and my judgment. He stooped so that he may open the door of heaven to every repentant sinner. He stooped so that he may build a bridge to his heavenly Father for us. He stooped so that he may become our older brother Jesus. Give him praise. Give him praise. This Samaritan did not only stop and stoop, he also served. The president of the seminary that I attended back in the early 70s in Sydney, Australia, Moore College, Dr. Broughton Knox was a brilliant man, and yet the most humble man you'll meet. And he drummed it in our ears. Remember, the Son of God came not to be served, but to serve. And my beloved friends, the greatest service we can perform is being faithful witnesses for what God did for us. This Samaritan man did not only just stop and stooped and then whispered some sweet words in the man's ears. And he said, hey, look up, have hope. Things are going to get better. Don't worry about it. No, 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 no. He placed this man on his beast and he walked. He carried this man's burden. He ministered to this man. He equipped this man back to health. He ensured that this man fully restored. He served. And for all of us disciples of Jesus, who are loving like Jesus and living like Jesus, we need to equip others to be disciples. And I want to tell you, to witness for Christ, you do not need a seminary degree. You do not to be trained in pop psychology. You don't need to be a great communicator. Open the Word of God. 
do what the blind man in John chapter 9 did when they kept harassing him. He said, look, all I know is I was blind, but now I see. That's his testimony. Also, this Samaritan took this man to others that they may help him. When he recognized he couldn't do everything, he involved others with him and so that others can help in building up the new disciples. This Samaritan paid up front. He paid up front for this man's needs. And my beloved friends, when Jesus died on that cross, he did not only die to save us eternally, that, of course, above all, but by his death was the payment for our salvation and our sanctification. Not just our salvation, but our sanctification. His death was a payment for us who are saved to continue to being saved every day, to ultimately being saved when we see him face to face in heaven. His death was not only payment for our sin that it was, but it also for sin's damage in our lives. Make no mistake about it, past sins, though forgiven eternally, they leave some damage behind. They leave some scars behind. But the blood of Jesus Christ can take care of the damages as well, whether they're emotional damages, physical damages, or spiritual damages. The payment on the cross was a total payment. Can I get an amen? amen. Fourthly, like the Samaritan, Jesus did not only stop, stoop, and serve, but he finally saved he saved. When this Samaritan took this dying man and brought him healing, the healing saved him physically. For him to be saved, he needed grace. He needed mercy. He needed restoration. And when the Samaritan did this, the man was physically restored. First of all, he poured his wine and oil on him to cleanse his wounds, to purify his body, and ultimately to save him. Listen to me. When our precious Lord Jesus Christ shed his blood on the cross of Calvary, he became the only one, the only one, the only one who could heal and cleanse by his blood. He became the only one who could save and restore by his blood. And don't miss what I'm going to tell you, because this is important, particularly in these days in which we are living all of the legislation in the world cannot do this. All of the politicians in the world cannot do this. All of the politics in the world cannot do this. All of the motivational preachers in the world cannot do this. All of the military powers of the world cannot do this. All of the technologies of the world cannot do this. Only the blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse the heart from hatred, racism, rebellion, and sin. Only the blood of Jesus Christ can purify heart and mind. Only the blood of Jesus Christ can transform lives. And that is why the disciple of Jesus needs to learn to live like Jesus. Just in case you think I made it. No, I'm learning every day. I'm failing many times. But that does not stop me from learning to live like Jesus. And introducing desperate sinners to Jesus, you need to stop stoop, serve, and help save. 
beloved, living like Jesus calls us to imitate and emulate Jesus. I pray to God that this will go deep into our hearts and in our minds today. I'm going to tell you about an historic incident. It's a fact. It's history. It's real. And I'm going to tell you this story as I conclude. And between the late 1800s and early 1900s, there was an Indian evangelist by the name of Sadhu Sundar Singh. He was marvelously converted from militant Hinduism to Christ. An amazing story. Now he became well-known evangelist, so he was invited by some Hindu universities to come and speak to them. And in one symposium in one of the universities in India, where he was invited as a guest speaker, the MC said to him, Mr. Singh, what did you find in Christianity that you did not find or have in Hinduism? The man got up and he said, I found Jesus. And then he sat down again. <laughs> well, the MC said, well, we know, we know about Jesus, but what did you actually find in Christianity that's not in Hinduism? He got up again and he said, I found Jesus. <laughs> and he sat down. And the man got exasperated because he did this five times. We understand, we know, we know about Jesus, but, but what did you really find? And he gets up again and said, I found Jesus, and sits down again. And he, seeing this frustration on the part of the MC and the crowd and the student body and a big auditorium, and, and he said, look, let me tell you a story. Hopefully we'll illustrate what I'm trying to tell you. He said, there's a man who fell in a ditch. Lots of ditches for some streets of India. He fell in a ditch. He said, first of all, he was desperately calling for people to get him up. And the first person who came by was Krishna. And Krishna looked at him and he said, oh, you poor man, this is your karma. And then he walked away, followed by Buddha. Buddha looked at the man and said, oh... Why did you walk on this side of the road and not on the other side of the road where there are no ditches? And he walked away. He was followed by Muhammad. Muhammad came, looked at the man and felt sorry for him and he said, My poor man, this is the will of Allah for you to be in that ditch. Then finally, Jesus came. And Jesus looked at this condition of this man. He did not say a word. He took off his rope. He jumped into the ditch. He put the bed on his shoulders, and he took him out. That's what I found in Christianity. I found Jesus. This is what I mean by finding Jesus. And the room went into absolute silence as Mr. Singh presented Christ to the student body. My beloved friends, those of you who heard me for a long time, know that I'm not an end-time preacher, but I'm convinced that we are living in the last days. And the disciples of Jesus better get serious about living like Jesus. A challenge to stop, stoop, serve, and save the last we come across in our lives. Thanks for listening to Leading the Way. 
with Atlanta pastor and international Bible teacher, Dr. Michael Youssef. Learn more about Dr. Youssef and Leading the Way when you call 1-300-133-589 or online at ltw.org. Well, before our time is gone for this episode, allow me to quickly mention a resource that Leading the Way is offering to encourage you in your daily walk with Christ. My devotional is a daily email where Dr. Yusuf guides you to a verse or two from the Bible and then offers practical applications to what's happening in the world, church, and the family life of today. My devotional is also available in a podcast form. The email version is perfect to read at the breakfast or dinner table, prompting reflections and deeper discussions. The podcast version is perfect to listen to on your commute or whenever or wherever you consume your favorite podcasts. How do you get my devotional? Well, I'm glad you asked. All you need to do is to click over to ltw.org and sign up. Within a short time, you'll begin getting your daily email. And if the podcast is more your speed, search for My Devotional on your favorite podcast platform. This will be a life changer for you as you seek to grow closer to Christ in 2024. Once again, ltw.org. And it's called My Devotional. Well, make plans to join Dr. Yusuf again next time for more passionate proclamation of the truth on Leading the Way. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.